0: I thought I'd start today by telling you a story that I read a couple weeks ago about a 19-year-old missionary. His name is Timmy, and Timmy bags groceries. What you need to know is bagging groceries is near the top of the list of Timmy's career possibilities. Bagging groceries utilizes all of his skill sets, and it taps into all of his spiritual gifts, and that's because Timmy has Down syndrome. So you and I can only imagine how seriously Timmy takes this job. One day when the store manager told his employees about an optional employee motivational training event, Timmy jumped up Speaker shared a lot of great ideas that day, but the thing that Timmy heard loudest was that every one of us can make a difference in someone's life. He heard her say that every time we come into contact with another person, we have a chance to create a memory or to change that person's life. And the speaker told stories about people making a difference, and on the last day of the event, the speaker left her phone number for the folks who attended that day and invited them to let her know if they had made a difference in someone's life. When Timmy went home from the seminar, his head was spinning. He thought a lot about what he'd heard. And he called the speaker about a month later, and he began by saying, I liked what you talked about. But at the time, I didn't think I could do anything special for our customers. After all, I'm just a bagger. And then Timmy told her that he had an idea. He decided that every night when he came home from work, he'd find a kind of a thought of the day that he'd take with him on his next shift. Something positive. uh, Something uplifting. Maybe something about how good it is to be alive. Maybe something about how everyone matters. Maybe something about all the good things life gives us. He even knew how he'd manage. If he couldn't find a thought for the day, he'd just make one up. And Timmy has done just that. Every night, his dad helps him use the computer to type his thoughts for the day. Six times on a page. Then Timmy prints 50 pages, takes out a pair of scissors... And carefully cuts until he has 300 copies of his saying. And then he signs each one. The next day, he puts the stack of sayings next to him while he works. Each time he finishes bagging a customer's groceries, he puts his saying for the day on top of the last bag. At that point, he always says to the customer, I put a great saying in your bag. I hope it helps you have a good day. Thank you for coming to our store. A month after Timmy began his mission, the store manager called the motivational speaker who had inspired Timmy. You won't believe it. I can't believe it. Yesterday, I was making the rounds. When I got up to the cashier stations, I saw that the line at Timmy's checkout was three times larger than any other. His line went all the way down the frozen food aisle. The manager said he opened more checkout lines, but nobody moved. They all wanted to be in Timmy's line. One woman said she'd always bought her groceries once a week. Now she shops once a day, so she won't miss any of Timmy's, Timmy's encouraging thoughts. Well, when we hear a story like this, there's a part of us that gets stirred up. You know, we want to make a difference too. But there's another part of us that's totally fine with keeping things in neutral, where our faith kind of kills our work. You know, where are the things that we believe about God actually keep us from stepping into action? In the New Testament, James tells us, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Throughout the history of Christianity, there's been this ongoing debate between faith and works. Some people leaned so heavily on the idea that faith alone is the key to heaven. So much so that they neglected the works aspect. Although um, others thought that if they did enough works, they could effectively purchase or earn their salvation. That led to legalism. And that actually led to the Protestant Reformation over 500 years ago. But here's the truth. Faith and works... We're never meant to be in opposition to each other. And there's a passage in Ephesians that helps us understand this. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then in the very next verse, the writer goes on to say, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When you look at these together, this powerful passage tells us that we are indeed saved through faith alone. This amazing gift from a loving God. But that we are saved for a purpose. To do the good works that God actually prepared in advance for us to do. And there's an easy way to remember this. You can remember by by, by thinking we are saved by faith and we are saved for works. Okay? We are saved by faith, but we're also saved for works. And Christian spiritual formation has a wonderful way of tapping into both of those ideas. Uh, Robert Mulholland was a professor at Asbury Theological Seminar- Seminary, uh, the finest divinity school in the land, if I can say so myself. Any guesses where I went? And uh, he, proved one, uh, he provided one of the best definitions for spiritual formation. He said, spiritual formation is the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. The process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. So our journey with God, our character transformation into Christ's likeness, isn't simply intended to benefit ourselves. It's actually intended to bless others. And Jesus teaches about that in the greatest sermon ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. And we find this sermon in the Gospel according to Matthew starting in the fifth chapter, In this powerful passage, Jesus makes some radical statements that are meant to flip the kingdom upside down and change the way that that people think about the world and think about each other. He's calling his followers to be on mission for other people. So starting in verse 13, let's take a look at what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be the salt seasoning that brings out God flavors of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. When you go to a funeral or a memorial service, your mind naturally wanders and naturally wonders what people will say about you when your time comes. Well, what would you like people to say? He was successful. She had a lot of power. He made a lot of money. She was anxious and driven and self-preoccupied, but she impressed a lot of people. No, probably not. When it's time for you and me to go, we want people to say, you know, my life's richer. My world's bigger. I'm a better person because I know her or him. You see, we don't want to live a lame life. We want to make a difference. And that desire is imprinted in our DNA. It's who we are. It's why we're created. We want our lives to count. So it makes sense when Jesus says that we are made for a mission. But notice, our mission is not about us. You're here to be salt seasoning, Jesus says. You're here to be salt seasoning. Another way that we've heard this is that we are to be the salt of the earth. You may have been in a conversation with someone and they described a friend by saying, he's a salt of the earth kind of a guy. And when we hear that, we take that as a compliment. We want to be the salt of the earth. But what is Jesus really saying? I mean, salt, after all, doesn't exist for itself. Salt only fulfills its purpose when it loses itself in something bigger, when it enhances, when it empowers something greater than itself. That's why Jesus goes on to say, You're here to bring out the God flavors of the earth. That's us. But then he issues kind of a warning. Jesus says, If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Ouch. (laughs) So Jesus is saying, My mission is not about me and my goodness. And your mission is not about you and your success. Our mission, plain and simple, is about pointing people to God. Right here, right now. It's not about building our own little kingdoms and building our own little queendoms. It's about building the kingdom of God. And Jesus didn't wait around for his mission until he could talk to some important people or some influential people. No. Jesus began where he was. He had a handful of rabbi school rejects. And he had some fishermen and a tax collector and a doubter. And he took his time. And he taught him about God. And he didn't only do it by saying a bunch of words. He did it by the way that he lived his life. By the way he loved people. Maybe that's why he tells us to live life the way that he lived it. So we can love our neighbors like he did. So we can add saltiness, this God flavor, everywhere we go. And when we do that, and when we do that, we begin to discover that our mission is not about us. That's what Timmy discovered. Simply by adding some God flavor to his customer's day, he was able to help a lot of folks find some kind of hope. And when Timmy found his mission, that daily task of what God was calling him to do, he understood what we all need to know. God has given us every strength we already need. And that's always been true. In the Old Testament, God sends Moses on a mission which is to rescue Israel from Egyptian slavery. But there's a catch Israel does not see Moses as a leader. Has this ever happened to you? Has anybody ever doubted your ability? Trust becomes a central issue here. The Jewish slaves don't trust that Moses is the right guy for the job, and that in turn causes Moses to not have trust in himself. That maybe God got it wrong when he chose him to lead the people out of slavery. And at this point, Moses is ready to throw in the towel. But just when he's about to call it quits, God gives Moses the encouragement he needs. God simply asked him, what is that in your hand? Moses was holding a staff. You see, long before leading Israel out of slavery, Moses' primary vocation, his primary job was that of a shepherd. Shepherding was what he knew how to do. That means he was a caregiver. He was an outdoors person. He was resourceful. Vigilant. He knew how to guide and lead. And his staff represented his God-giving shepherding strengths. Well, Sometimes God asks you and me the same question. What is that in your hand? In in other words, what do you do well? How do you get along with others? What has life taught you? What do you like to talk about? What is your passion? And then he'll say something like, okay, now get busy and use all of that. And you might be thinking, yeah, but life's not always been good to me. You know, I have some weaknesses. Sure you do. So do I. And That's okay. Because God never wastes a hurt. Your struggles, my struggles build our strengths. No one helps an alcoholic more than a recovering alcoholic. No one helps a person who's lost a loved one more than a person who's lost a loved one. Some of you are familiar with Chuck Colson. If you don't know who he is, Chuck Colson was a wealthy attorney and a big-time politician who established prison fellowship after serving a term in prison. And Timmy, the grocery bagger? Well, Timmy knew that his job gave him a chance to touch people's lives. What Timmy didn't know is that when people saw his limitations, they were inspired. So his gifts... Carried a greater weight. Folks knew that if Timmy could do it, they could do it too. So, what's your weakness? How can God use it? You see, God works through our weaknesses. God also works through our discomfort. And over the past several weeks, while exploring the hole in our gospel, we've been asking this question, what breaks your heart that breaks the heart of God? Because the things that, the, that, that discomfort us the most may be pointing us to our mission. Years ago, a guy by the name of Millard Fuller was full of discomfort. God transformed his discom- discomfort into a passion, into his life mission. You see, Millard Fuller was passionate about the millions of people who did not have a decent place to live. In fact, his passion was so overwhelming, he picked up a hammer and began building houses. People started hearing about what he was doing, which inspired them to join in on his mission. Millard Fuller and others built so many houses, it led him to establish a little organization called Habitat for Humanity. Perhaps you've heard of it. So what causes you to be discomforted? Feed it, pray about it, dwell on it. Use it to help folks find the God flavor in life. Because when you have a passion to do something bold, something courageous, mission happens. Moses knew this. The disciples knew this. Chuck Colson knew this. Millard Fuller knew this. Even Timmy the Bagger knew this. Jesus says, you're going to be my light bearers. So I'm not going to hide your light under a bucket. I'm putting you on a light stand, on a hilltop. And I want you to shine. I want you to be generous with your life. I want you to open up to other folks so that they'll open up to God. And that way, they'll get to know our Father in heaven. I think the reason why Timmy's grocery checkout lines grew is because our souls are longing to be fed the same way that our bodies do. But our souls are fed by good words and good deeds. And words feed us because of who they come from. People stand in line to read Timmy's words because they see the beauty of a guy looking beyond his limitations and using his life for something and someone bigger than himself. A few months after Timmy began his life mission, the store manager called the motivational speaker again to describe how Timmy was transforming the entire store. The ladies in the floor department decided not to throw away the broken flowers and the unused corsages. Instead, they took them out into the aisles. They gave them to elderly women or to someone who looked like they they needed a little joy in their life. The butchers noticed this and started tying up their meat packages and the meat orders with bright ribbons. The point is, if mission can happen in a grocery store, then mission can happen anywhere. So, what's your mission? In his book, Human Rights and Human Wrongs, author John Stott wrote this. He said, Our Christian habit is to bewail the world's deteriorating standards with an air of self-righteous dismay. We criticize its violence, dishonesty, immorality, disregard for human life, and materialistic greed. The world is going down the drain, we say with a shrug. But whose fault is it? Who is to blame? Let me put it like this. If the house is dark when nightfall comes, there's no sense in blaming the house, for that is what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If the meat goes bad and becomes inedible, there's no sense in blaming the meat, for that is what happens when bacteria are left alone to breed. The question to ask is, where is the salt? Just so, if society deteriorates, and its standards decline till it becomes like a dark night or a stinking fish, there's no sense in blaming society. For that is what happens when fallen men and women are left to themselves and human selfishness is unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the church? Why are the salt and light of Jesus Christ not permeating and changing our society? It is sheer hypocrisy on our part to raise our eyebrows, shrug our shoulders, and wring our hands. The Lord Jesus told us to be the world's salt and light. If therefore darkness and rottenness abound, it is our fault, and we must accept the blame. So, what's your mission? Our church has a mission to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And in a couple of weeks, we'll be loving our neighbors and our community in Butler Mission Week. And this is a great opportunity for you to discover your mission. Sometimes you don't realize what your mission is until you come face to face with it. Well, you can't do that unless you serve. So when you get home today, just take 10 minutes and go to our website, hopecovenant.church, and register. Sign up. Let us know when you're able to help. Let us know what's breaking your heart. And then join us as we live out the beloved part of our vision. Let's pray. Oh God, there's no way to fully measure the depth and the breadth of your love for us, your children. And there's no way for us to fully thank you for what you have done and what you are doing in our lives. So our prayer today is that we can express a small part of our gratitude by doing what you've instructed. You've called us to be the salt of the earth so others can taste your love and your goodness. Help us to remember that we are the light in this community and in this world. As we inch closer and closer to Butler Mission Week, I pray that our eyes are opened and our hearts are broken to the things you see and the things that break your heart. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: John one fourteen in the Message Version said the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus came to Earth and began his mission. And then after he ascended to heaven, the disciples gathered together in the upper room and they're waiting for what next. And if you remember the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit descended on them in that room and they were filled with the power. They left that room. Peter preached the first sermon. 3,000 people came to know Jesus and the church began. The church began its mission after the Holy Spirit came and sent. And so we get to participate in that mission. See, in that upper room, Jesus was with his disciples uh, one last time before he was handed over. And it was in that space that he shared in the Last Supper with his very trusted and close friends. We remember that night when Jesus was betrayed. That he sat with these people and he loved them in spite of them. That is good news for us. And we remember that night. And while he was with them, he gave thanks to God. And he raised the bread. He gave thanks and he said, This is my body broken for you. Each time you gather, eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he raised it. And he gave thanks to God and he said, This is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of sins. Each time you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your unending grace in our lives. We ask that you pour out your spirit over the elements here this morning, consecrate them so that our lives may be transformed to be more like you and on mission in your kingdom. And we gather here and remember this sacred meal and the prayer that Jesus taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom